For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey, y'all. This is Josiah Gray, and this is Half Street High Heat. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. What's up? I'm back. I know you missed me. It's Nick. I'm back. Don't worry. I, I listened to the last episode, and well, Ryan, you were objectively great. That ending. Don't worry about it. I got you. I'm back. You can follow me on Twitter at Nationals Ace. I know you missed me. Follow the show at Half Street High Heat. I am just joined by Ryan tonight because Amanda's gone AWOL. The season's over, and she's just checked out. But Ryan and I got this. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. Um, the off season is officially upon us because free agency is open. Open, so I am very excited about that. Life's good. I uh, think I won my fantasy matchup this week. I don't know. <laughs> Question I mark. I haven't seen how the second half is doing. Hopefully, Stafford's laying an egg. But yeah, life's good. Oh, he's very much laying an egg. Ah. Um, but speaking of checking out, you know during the season or off season or whatever, my fantasy team checked out like after week two. So (laughs) (laughs) then not, not my finest performance this year. Um, Braves won the world series. I, yeah. (laughs) Like, I don't know. This season, obviously for Nats fans was kind of a, a weird adjustment, even for us. Right. Like, you know, we were always more realistic. You were kind of the, the trailblazer for not change, but I know ball. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> ball, but you were never afraid to take the uh, not the leap of faith. That's not the right word, but like, just go on a, go out on a limb and say, they should do this, do that. I mean, even still like you, you were years ahead of, everyone on the idea to trade trade turner uh and, and whatnot but even though you were ahead of the curve let's say like it, it's still an adjustment you know dealing with the nats that are now not the nats that were uh just a couple of years ago but that coupled with the braves winning the world series so obviously you know, braves are my most hated team it's just like i i, I just have never felt more checked out from baseball not not checked out because i'm still invested in the nats but like the the season ending normally hits i'm like damn season's over now just like okay season's over (laughs) yeah like i wasn't i wasn't as mad as i thought i'd be i have a couple people i was pretty happy about they won just for them um just like i have like a couple like braves friends i was happy for them but everyone else i don't want any happiness for that fan base 
Um, I just wasn't as like mad as I thought it was, mainly because the Nats won in 2019. But that yeah, was kind of helps. Yeah, and that was overdue for that core. It's just really funny that like the Elise is the worst division in a long time, and the Elise still has the World Series winner come out of it. So every team in the Elise has won the World Series this millennium, except for the New York Mets. Which I mean, it, it probably will be another millennium. The, <laughs> the Mets legitimately might be the next great curse in baseball. I don't know who currently it, it has the longest be. drought, but what's the, the Mets' last one? Sixty-nine, which uh, obviously six. Oh, eight. They won. That's right. The amazing. Which it. it always bothers me that they won the sixty-nine World Series because what a nice World Series to win. <laughs> so eighty-six. Um, I mean, there's a couple of franchises that have never won, so I guess you can't really be the next great drought until one of those or all of those. Who or are they like? Padres, Padres. I uh, know. Uh, I think Padres won. Did they? I think there's three. At least they've right? won. No, they've. Sorry, the Padres Rockies? have won. The Rockies have won one. They have Mariners. Yeah, Mariners have it. Indians have a 73 year drought. Rangers have a 61 year drought. Brewers 53. Padres 53 years. Oh yeah, that's right. Sorry, no, they won it. They won two pennants, but they haven't won the World Series, the Mariners. And the Mar- uh, sorry, the Padres. And then the Mariners won in 1940. Sorry, not 1945. <laughs> the Mariners haven't won in 45 years. Pirates 42, Orioles 38, Tigers 37, Mets 35. There's like only three teams in the NL that haven't won the pennant in the last like 30 years. And it's like the Pirates, the Reds. I can't remember the third team. So are the pirate or not the pirates? The who, who did you? I am confusing myself. So the Padres have never won one, correct? Correct. Padres, so, Padres so have Padres, not. Rays. Are they the only two not never to win one? Um, yes. Right. This is terrible radio, but <laughs> we're just trying to get our ducks in a row. Padres, Rays, DVX, the Rays. Oh, sorry, no, the Rockies won the pennant. They didn't win. Rockies, Rays, Mariners, Rangers, Brewers, Padres. Oh, so it's more. I didn't realize the Rangers had never won. Poverty, (laughs) poverty. All they had Nolan Ryan and still couldn't win. Well, if you look at Nolan Ryan, I mean, strikeout king. Don't get me wrong, and he pitched for like 25, 30 years. He, He never won a Cy Young, right? Correct. Yeah. So, like, obviously, great pitcher, but I mean, he—I don't think he was ever truly that that dominant guy. He just had a lot of strikeouts, which is obviously cool. But uh, some, you know, uh, older fan listening to this is probably just screaming at at me right now for my saying I don't know ball because I'm talking shit on Nolan Ryan. <laughs> but. Speaking of someone a little bit older, Buster Posey announced his retirement. Uh, I love Buster Posey. Uh, he was, we always have those like fringe, play, not fringe players, but like players that we're fans of, even though they're not, not on our team, never played for our team. You know, obviously Buster Posey pay, played his entire career for the Giants. I was really sad. Like, obviously the writing was on the wall. He, he He's older. They have a, uh, Joey Bart waiting in the wings. He's a highly touted catching prospect. Um, great season this year for both the Giants and Buster Posey. 
crazy resume with all his accolades, the the things he's been a part of. Uh, Any thoughts on Buster Posey calling it a career? I mean, going out on top, he had that absolute resurgence of a year. Really glad to see. Um, I thought he could go a couple more years, but I think 2020, excuse me, it was kind of pretty obvious that this was coming soon. Um, once you, I feel like once you get that like taste of being with your family and like your kids again, right. he was like, you know what? I don't mind this. And he mm-hmm. kind of wanted to be back to that. And catching's hard on your body. It's mm-hmm. not the same. And he went out on top. He had the fantastic year. They won 108 games, lost in LDS. But I mean, that man's accomplished a lot. <laughs> I'll always respect someone who, like you said, goes out on top, just as I would respect someone who, you know, gives it everything they have in, until it's done. Like, you know, we love shitting on Jason Worth for good reason, but I can appreciate him saying yeah i feel like i still have something to give like you know because everyone wants to go out on top right everyone wants to you know have their final season be you know something they can at least say oh i definitely gave it everything i have but not everyone gets the opportunity to do you know injury or performance or whatever it may have been but buster posey you know calling it quits now as opposed to dragging it out i respect that and like like we said, he, he's he's done enough in his career that he has plenty to hang his hat on. He doesn't need a, you know, a arbitrary, meaningless 2022 season. But that was the big news of the week. Obviously, you know, that way bigger news than the Braves winning the World Series. Nobody cares about that. Um, last thing, I mean, as far as news goes, qualifying offer day. And I've, obviously, we're recording on Sunday, so free agency officially started, what, 5 p.m. today? So qualifying offers were handed out. 14 players were extended a qualifying offer. The list is Brandon Belt. I mean, he's probably was going to go back to the Giants anyways. Uh, Castellanos, Conforto, Correa, Freddie Freeman, Raziel, Iglesias, Robbie Ray, Eduardo Rodriguez, Corey Seager, Marcus Semien, Trevor Story, Noah Syndergaard, Chris Taylor, and Justin Verlander. Um, some notable names that did not get one. Uh, I know Clayton Kershaw did not get one, but I don't think that was necessarily a surprise. Carlos Rodon, uh, Anthony DiScalfani. Uh, were there a couple of, or any other big ones I missed? John Gray, which John is just Gray. surprising. That that <laughs> the Rockies really irritate me. Makes no sense. They literally don't trade great the deadline because they they had hopes to extend him, which they I believe they extended. Uh, I'm gonna butcher his last name, Sensatella, their other starter. So it's like okay, they're working out extensions during the season. Maybe they will ex- extend John Gray and have some continuity, but now they're not even extending him a qualifying offer, which basically just indicates they're gonna let him walk in free agency for nothing. And I mean. They're doing this. Well, I guess they extended an offer to Trevor Story, but you know Trevor Story signing elsewhere. But any uh, initial reaction to the qualifying offers, whether they did get one or didn't get one? Um, no, I think it was pretty. It was pretty. What's the word? What am I thinking? I was. I was gonna. Well, never mind. Like it was pretty obvious who was and was not going to get one. Um, Noah Syndergaard's probably gonna accept it especially after the season he had, that was smart to do. Um, John Gray really is the most 
surprising one to me. Like, again, what are the Rockies doing? Um, people were kind of trying to make something out, Clayton Kershaw not getting it. That is as simple as that. He's coming back to the Dodgers, and the Dodgers right. can know they can sign him for less than $18 million. He knows he's going to sign for less than $18 million, so that's why he's not going to get it. I am a little surprised that Carlos Rodon did not get it. Um, I don't think he leaves the White Sox. I think the White Sox are the only team that's going to pay him what he wants. Um, I'm a little surprised. Like he had a pretty good season. It was hurt with injuries. So maybe they think teams will be a little wary of him just because the injuries that he's had. Um, but yeah, him and John Gray, that's John Gray is baffling. That's just a real surprising one to me. Those two. Yeah. Uh, with Rodon, obviously he he's battled a bunch of injuries over his career and he really had a breakout year this year. He was firmly in the Cy Young conversation for a majority of the year um and, and pitched really well but he pitched 132 innings which is you know decent but towards the end like he, he was dealing with arm fatigue not just like not an injury or whatever so he just got tired which you know to be expected that, that was probably the most he's pitched in, in quite a while but I, I can see why that might scare teams like you, you're paying him to be a starter but if he can only pitch you know three quarters of the season and that one quarter that he can't pitch is arguably the most important for, especially for a contending team. Yeah. That might scare some teams off. So I, I, I see it. Do you have uh, any desire for the Nats to go after him? So yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean like he's good. Like he is a good pitcher. I would want him. Um, the Nats are just in such an interesting spot because of the Kershaw. I'm not Kershaw, excuse me, because of the Strasburg and the Corbin contracts, he is going to get a big contract. And it's like, do you really want to give a big contract to someone who has injury history? But like, he's good. And if you sign him and you know, you know what, he's only going to get you 150 innings this year. That's 150 innings from a proven MLB starter. That makes a big difference. That's 150 less innings, all these no names, the guys you're going to keep rotating through an open door have to fill up. And that's good. I don't know if I want another $100 million contract on this rotation right now. That comes down to it. But if you told me the Nats signed them, I'd be okay with it. Yeah, obviously, it, it largely depends on the contract, the years, uh, mainly the years. Like the AAV, I, I wouldn't have a problem with either way. I don't think they're not going to grossly overpay for someone like Rodon, who's for all intents and purposes, just a one year wonder. But the years is where you can kind of fall in trouble. Uh, obviously, the shorter the deal, the better and shorter deals get higher AAVs, but if they were giving him like a four-year deal, I mean, three and a half of those years might be an albatross and we can't necessarily afford that. And that's definitely are in a, a kind of a interesting spot because they can make a push this year and you know, get one of these enticing options, which by the way, we will talk about here in a little bit. I should have talked about this off the top, but we, we were thrown for a loop because Amanda just went AWOL. Um, but we are doing our free agent predictions today. One of the best episodes every single year. One of my favorite episodes, if not my favorite. I, we love predictions on the show. We love bold predictions. Free agent predictions almost doesn't get any better than that. Um, but anyways, the, the Nats, uh, 
do they go all in right and try to make a push get a building block as so many of us have kind of lobbied for or do they kind of just do what they've been doing get these one year maybe not safer options but less risk in terms of you know you can either trade them at the deadline or you know their expiring contract because it's a one year two year deal so it's not too much of a of commitment just gut gut feeling do you th- which way do you think the Nats are going? Uh, not not which one you you think not even a, or not which one you prefer but like what what do you think is going to happen so if they're going to sign anyone it's going to be chris bryant um i don't i don't know i i think the nats might take it slow which is honestly fine if they do the only problem is i think they kind of realize their infield isn't very good right now and they kind of need something a little bit more so I don't know. Like I, I think they'll sign a outfielder to a one-year deal that has pop in his bat. Um, I think that would be a good signing. Adam Pitch- Duvall. <laughs> Adam Duvall Duvall. Um, God, I'd be so upset with that. But <laughs> pitching, pitching, they're definitely gonna sign a bunch of one-year deals. You can put that in Sharpie right now. They're going to sign middle tier to low tier guys for one-year deals. Honestly, if I'm Mike Rizzo, I put every single reliever's name in the hat. I pull three of them out, give them a one or two year deal. If they hit great, trade them. If not, oh, well, um, when it comes to offense, the only person I can see giving the long-term contract to is Chris Bryant, which is kind of shame because there's a lot of free agents who are very much deserving of a long-term contract. I just think they're going to be a little more patient with the offense. Makes sense. I mean, I don't like that. Yeah. But... Right. It, it's just, it's kind of the state of affairs. Like what would the, the, the question is, right, what would the Nats have to do to be as good, if not better, than the Braves? And the answer is quite a lot at this point. They need guys to rebound, whether it be performance or health, and they need a real influx of free agent talent that would hit, or free agent or trade talent that would hit, right? Like proven commodities, not just flyers. It's just, it's a lot for one off season, but building blocks, you know, you can still make something happen. Even if it's not for 2022, it can be a 2021 into 20, well, I guess 2022 off season, you know, move that really sets you up for 2023 and beyond. We'll see what, what happens. Uh, I think it's going to be kind of a disappointing affair for <laughs> at least for Nats fans, maybe not for the Nats. Maybe it's exactly what they want to happen or, how they want to approach it. Um, well, hold on a second. You know, one okay. strategy that like, wouldn't be the worst thing in the world for the Nats. It's would it be very hit or miss. Well, it's not really hit or miss. It, it hits. It just takes a while taking all in bad contracts from other teams. That's interesting because again, I did a terrible job hosting today. We interviewed Matt Weirich, Ryan and I, <laughs> you'll hear that interview in a little bit. But he mentioned that the Nats could potentially be in a position to eat salary, which a couple of those idea or, uh, you know, nothing to him, but those ideas or rumors have been thrown out there. Eric Cosmer was one. I don't know how that would fit, especially without the DH, at least currently, um, and Josh Bell on your team. But yeah, those bad contracts, you can get 
I don't know. Like what I'm trying to think of it's, what it's, a salary dump very in recent memory so. has been. Yeah, like you literally you don't give up anything of, of note because you're taking on the contract. You're giving up not good prospects. These are guys who are not more than likely not going to see the light of day in the major league level. You're giving up nothing for it. You're taking on all of the contract and you just eat it for a couple of years. And then once they have one or two years left on the deal, you move them and you get some return. And it's kind of like buying stocks. It's risky. If you get the good return on investment, you know, not crypto. I don't do that. I do the stock market. <laughs> um, but if you get that good return on investment, they have solid play. You got someone for absolutely nothing. You're getting good prospects back. Now, the only problem with that is it takes a couple of years. And by a couple of years, it's it's a three, four year plan with that. It's a slower option. Teams have done it before. Some teams have really screwed up doing it. Some teams have been pretty successful doing it. It's an option. But if the Nats want to be quick with it, it's not an option they'll do. Yeah, which it seems like they do want it to be as quick as possible, as most teams do. But the Nats, having been competitive for so long, I can see why they're not keen on a lengthy rebuild as some franchises are currently uh, enduring. But it is it is an idea. And, I mean, those players that got big contracts that have since become liabilities to their current franchises, they got those contracts for a reason. So. I threw out Eric Hosmer like, yeah, he was probably overpaid at the time of the contract, but the Padres didn't have any proven commodities. They were still an upcoming team. They needed a, a foundational piece and they viewed him as such. But if he can, you know, be somewhat better than he is now, then, you know, that that's something you can work with. And, you know, you're not really giving up anything to, to get him. I don't know. It's an interesting idea because like, what if, you you know get the universal dh you take on a hosmer contract which prevents you from making other moves but then all of a sudden you have a lineup with soto hosmer bell maybe a supplementary free agent piece that's not bad it's not great but it's not bad i don't know just a thought but mentioned it earlier we interviewed matt wyrick uh great interview as always don't expect anything less from our good friend, Matt, best friend of the pod. Uh, we talked about, you know, basically the Nats offseason approach. We did some rapid fire uh, predictions uh, for free agents with him and talked about, you know, the Nats uh, kind of approach with the Braves winning the World Series and how they view their future. Great interview, as always. Check it out. What's up, everyone? We are now joined by Matt Wyrick of NBC Sports Washington. You guys can give him a follow on Twitter at by Matt Wyrick. Hey, make sure you head on over to NBCSportsWashington.com to keep up with all things DC sports. And more importantly, check out all of Matt's latest pieces. Matt, how you doing, man? Doing well, guys. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. It's always a pleasure to have you on in our first of hopefully many of off-season interviews. Um, things are starting to heat up a little bit. Free agency officially began today, and there was a lot of talk about who is and didn't get the qualifying offer. So there's a lot to pay attention to that. But focusing on the nationals as we head into the offseason, 
what should we expect from the Nats? Should we expect a busy offseason? Um, there's some reporters like Jeff Passon who are saying we might have a very quick free agency up until December 1st. Um, or is this going to be a slow offseason? Like, should we look at the team not claiming Wade Miley, who's going to get Cy Young votes, as a sign for how this offseason is going to go? Yeah, you know, I think that it depends on how you classify busy, right? So the national 40 man roster right now is at 33 players. So I expect them to get pretty close to 40, if not get all the way up there by the end of the off season. So that's going to leave them space for several moves to make the rest of the, the, the winter here. And I, you know, it's tough because of the CBA and everything expiring December 1st. I think there's going to be two different markets, you know, one before December 1st and one after whenever that lockout ends. Uh, and, and how the Nationals behave. I, I, they always seem to be a quick strike team. They don't really wait around to make moves in the offseason. So I would not be surprised if they made a couple of moves before that December 1st date and then maybe saved you know, the potential for a bigger move once they know what their financial outlook is going to look like, uh, you know, how the league's payment structure is going to work, all things like that. that. That's a big factor for not just the Nationals, but teams across the league. And so you know, I don't really expect a lot of big-name players to really sign anywhere until after that CBA is completed. Yeah. And obviously even when there's not a CBA to be negotiated in the off season, free agency hasn't been the most expedited process for uh, the MLB off season and, and teams and players and whatnot. Uh, Ryan mentioned Wade Molly. Uh, there was another lefty that was reported. The Nats could potentially be in on. I believe it was Joel Sherman who reported it. Uh, Andrew Heaney, have you heard anything on that front? Is that a name we should, you know, start researching and getting familiar with? Or is that kind of just them doing their due diligence, kicking the tires? Yeah, I, I think that Heaney is in the range of the pitchers that you're probably going to be hearing the most about this offseason. You know, it might not be Heaney himself who's necessarily a top target for the Nationals but a type of player who is probably going to sign on a one-year deal won't cost too much. And if the nationals do turn out to be, you know, not a contender this year, as expected at the trade deadline, they could flip that player and add to their prospect pool. So a guy like Andrew Heaney, who, you know, going into last year, you know, was coming off a couple of solid seasons, you know, could have been seen as a breakout candidate and then really fell apart five, eight ERA 1.3 whip, but those strikeout numbers over a 10.4 K per nine, you love to see that. So that's something that the Nationals could buy into. But they're, you know, Heaney probably isn't the only one. There's guys like Zach Davies, uh, Jacob Junis, Dylan Bundy, Aaron Sanchez, all guys who, you know, aren't coming off of stellar seasons, whether that's due to performance or injury. Uh, but the Nationals could probably see them as being worth it on a one-year deal. Come in, rebuild your value with us. You know, and if we don't, you know, turn out to be a good team, we'll trade you a contender at the deadline. God, that's, those, that list of names is just not inspiring <laughs> <laughs> yeah there really isn't a best on that list unfortunately it's just kind of you know who do the national dig Pick through the poison. analytics dig through the, the the game footage see who they really like see who they feel like they can build into you know a former version or a better version of themselves uh, and kind of go from there so it's all kind of you know up to the nationals of who they think they can i guess re help rebuild their value the best yeah i mean you you said those names and they say there's no such thing as a bad one-year deal, but Andrew Heaney would be a bad one-year deal because Andrew Heaney absolutely sucks. His, his home run per nine was literally a two. I, I don't he, know. I don't know if I've ever seen that before. I mean, it's so bad. He gave up 29 runs in 35 innings with the Yankees when he got traded, and he gave up 55 runs in 94 innings. 
that's not good. <laughs> no. And um, when you have a home run problem, Yankee Stadium is not the place you want to be. Right. Yeah, I know. I mean, he can join Patrick Corbin. And he knows a lot about giving up home runs. So maybe they can exactly. Maybe they can bring Jordan Lyles over and really make it a, a party. <laughs> um, so the the Nats have a lot of holes. It's starting rotation. You said some of the names. Looking at the bullpen, there aren't exactly a lot of MLB quality guys in there right now. How do you think this team is going to approach the bullpen in the offseason? Are they going to just sign one or two guys to a one-year deal? Or do you think they're going to look for someone to help anchor this bullpen for the next couple of seasons? You know, I think that this is a situation where they really want to see who they have in-house right now, right? You've got all these young guys, uh, Gabe Klobositz, Mason Thompson, Patrick Murphy, you know, the list goes on of all these players that, you know, they kind of cycled through at the end of the year. The Nationals are going to want to get, you know, at least a better look at a lot of those names. Now, are they going to want to throw them into high leverage situations right away like they had to do with Kyle Finnegan and a lot of other guys late down the stretch? No, they're going to look to Will Harris and probably be their closer next year if they don't bring in somebody else. I would imagine that they probably do the same thing that they're looking at with the rotation uh, and, and try to find a closer on a one-year deal who say, hey, look, you, you could have a you know, easy path to saves with our club. Uh, and I, we can trade you a contender midway through the year. Uh, you know, somebody to at least, you know, take the pressure off of those younger guys, let them come out, you know, and blow out games or easier situations and let them kind of figure themselves out before really throwing them into the fire. So I'd expect the nationals to get one or two MLB ready closers, play, pitchers who have been in the major leagues for a long time, but I would not imagine that they go after anyone for a multi-year deal. Uh, you know, Will Harris is due 8 million next year. He, I would imagine he's probably the most expensive guy that you're going to have in your bullpen next season. Uh, you know, you probably aren't going to want to invest a whole lot because when you invest in the bullpen, it's more of a win now move, right? Because relievers are so volatile year to year that when you're getting a three or four year deal for a reliever, you're really hoping that they're going to be an instant impact for you. And, you know, you, you have no way of projecting what a reliever is going to look like in four years. So uh, I would not expect the Nationals to really go in on any big names, you know, Rizal Iglesias, whatnot. Uh, but somebody, you know, who could backfill some of those innings uh, for them makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that does make sense. Just that overall approach. They have so much to address before they even get to the bullpen. Like you said, bullpen moves are kind of more of a, we're ready now. This is the move that kind of puts us over the top or at least into contention more so than they were. And the Nats are just not there yet, but one move that they could make that would help long-term and, you know, it's a little bit easier to project than a reliever would be a position player, a big bat. That's something they've needed for a while now, especially right-handed power bat. Obviously they have Soto bell switch hitter. Um, so you have some power from the left side, Kyle Schorber last year, but we've really need that right-handed power bat. Do you think, I'll rephrase. What are the chances the Nats go all in on a big right-handed power bat for a building block, even though 2022 isn't looking like the best of years for the Nats to contend? Yeah, you know, I, I think that if they do, it's got to be, you know, somebody who's not going to be in their 30s right away. You know, I don't I don't see them paying big for a 31-year-old. Uh, you know, Carlos Correa. Anything like that. Deal. Exactly. Uh, you know, Correa. I'd love, I love I love Correa. You know, obviously cheating scandal aside, but just watching him play, he's a lot of fun. Uh, but obviously being tagged with the qualifying offer kind of takes him out of it. Chris Bryant, his name's been tossed around. He kind of does make sense for the Nats. You know, you could put him – you have this problem in the outfield right now where Lane Thomas and Victor Robles are kind of, you know, fighting for playing time in center field. You have Juan Soto obviously in right. 
and then Yadiel Hernandez is your de facto left fielder. You get Chris Bryant, you can put him in left. Uh, that way, Carter Keboom and Luis Garcia can then compete, you know, everyday basis. And then if they don't, if they fail, you move whoever succeeding to second base. You move, uh, you know, Chris Bryant into third base, and then you have you know full outfield again. So there's a lot of different ways that they could they could go with that. I think he'd make sense there. But the likelihood that they go out and spend for one of these guys. I don't think it's very likely considering the contracts that they're just locked into right now with Strasburg and Corbin. You know, I see this year as a year to just kind of eat some money, you know, eat a year off of those contracts to make it a little bit easier going into the following season, where if you feel like you've seen enough from your roster, you can really go into 2020. What will that be? 2023 math. Yeah. Uh, So really go into 2023, uh, you know, as a team that you can feel confident in and, and, you know, maybe you need just like that one finishing piece, somebody to bring in and help push you over the edge. Uh, but there's a long ways to go before the Nationals can even get to that point. So, you know, I think a guy, you know, maybe a multi-year deal could be in play here. A guy like Eduardo Escobar, who's a switch hitter, plays second base and third base. I think he'd be a fantastic fit uh, for the Nationals. I don't think you want to go into next year with Garcia and Keyboom as starting infielders. You know, I think those are two guys that you want to see compete. You know, neither of them look like a sure thing. They both have plenty of holes in their game. So rather than give them the keys to starting positions, why not have them compete for it? Uh, and see who comes out the best. And then, you know, you can at least have some depth there moving forward. Uh, if one, you know, the, the one that you do to give that shot doesn't pan out. So, uh, you know, the, I think that they're not going to go all in on the big names this offseason. But I think that, you know, one or two, you know, position players, maybe an out corner outfielder, maybe a middle infielder uh, could be in play on a two, three year deal. Yeah, I mean, that's something that's especially is going to be interesting to watch because the holes that they have in the infield that you mentioned, the qualifying offer is something that's getting a lot of conversation right now. There are guys I would very much be willing to give up that pick for. Um, do you think the Nats stay clear of anyone who has the qualifying offer attached to them right now? I think it's all but guaranteed that the Nationals stay away from anyone with the qualifying offer just because, you know, you're a rebuilding team at this point. You, you know, you can call it a retool, rebuild, reboot, whatever. You know, they are in the process of having torn the studs down and, and building from the bottom. And you aren't in a position to give away draft picks at this point. You need as much ammunition as possible in that farm system to build it up. Because before that, you know, July flurry of trades, the National Farm System was one of the worst in baseball. And, you know, that is not something to be overlooked. Yes, they made a bunch of moves and now their their farm system is about middle of the pack. It's fine. But you need to you need to go into it next year and the year after feeling very confident about your farm system, feeling like the depth is going to be there for you to sustain a contender. Uh, and if you give up a key draft pick right in the middle of that retool, you know you're not you might not be hurting yourself now, but a couple of years down the line, that depth, that that payroll flexibility that the player could give you, you know the young years of control, all of that that that's very valuable and something that a team like the Nationals that is still figuring out what its identity is going to be moving forward. Not to mention, it doesn't really have a, a building block in-house right now that's locked up long-term, wink, wink, Juan Soto. Uh, <laughs> you know, you're really not in a position to, to give up those young draft picks because you just don't have the assets. Now, people are like, young draft pick, I see young superstar shortstop, <laughs> Carlos Correa. I don't know. Um one player who I actually think is pretty interesting is Josh Bell. There's questions about where he fits in right now with the team rebuilding. The Nats don't have anyone really, you know, in the system for first base, but 
it might not be the worst thing to trade him just because he's kind of a legit power hitter. And there are teams like the Yankees who are going to be searching for left-handers like that. Do you think Josh Bell is still on this team could surprisingly move, or is he going to be someone they keep and try to extend to like a four year, $40 million contract? You know, I, I think that all options are on the table right now. You know, Bell has expressed his desire to, to play in DC. You know, he's really ingrained himself in the community through various charity projects he was voted the good guy award by the local media uh as somebody who was not just nice to the the media members but also somebody who really you know made an effort to to ingrain themselves into the community so uh you know i think he wants to stay in dc now does he want to go through another rebuild when he's just been spending most of his career at the pirates i don't know you know that's that's definitely a question that he's going to have to answer himself but uh you know if i were the nationals i would absolutely be you know engaging in conversations with him about an extension yes you could trade him right now uh but you're kind of thin on players to build around right now if the nationals are intent on you know having a quick turn you know mike rizzo has talked about how we don't plan on losing for a long time this is you know the nationals don't want to go through a three four five year rebuild they want to be back into contender status you know relatively quickly uh, and trading Josh Bell is kind of contrary to that because Bell is somebody who can really help you win in the near term uh, and for a relatively cheap price. You know, like you mentioned, that that $40 million three-year deal, that is absolutely something I think should be in range uh, for a player of Bell's caliber. And if, if he's willing to negotiate on those terms, I would, I would jump at that chance if I were the Nationals. And if you go into this season and you absolutely stink it up and you're, you know, a 100-loss team, Maybe you think about trading Bell then because you really have to tear it down. And at that point, you've got him on a cheap contract with several years of control, and you could probably even get more for him than you would have by trading him this offseason. So I think either way, it's, it's probably best to wait uh, on trading Bell and, and see if you can work out something long term. I love Josh Bell. I've been a huge fan of his even at the time of the trade. And obviously, you know, through that rough first month, uh, I would like to see him, you know, stick around, but I, I see the mindset that all options are on the table. So as long as the Nets, you know, are kind of their actions match their words, I'm cool with it. Um, but obviously the Braves just won the World Series. Da, 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 da. Does that really change the Nats approach? I know you just said Mike Rizzo has come out and said that they don't plan on losing for a long time. But obviously when a division rival wins the World Series and there's, they're a young team. It's not like when the Nats won in 2019, they had a bunch of free agents and they were an old team already. The Braves are still a young team. They have, a, you know, they have to address Freddie Freeman, but they get Acuna back who wasn't even on the team for the, the playoff run. And they have Albies locked up. They seem to be a, a force for, you know, in the next couple of years as the Nats are in the midst of a rebuild. Does the Braves winning really affect anything or is it still going to be stick to the plan we had in place that we put into motion at the deadline? Yeah, you know, I don't think that them winning the World Series necessarily changes anything. You know, the Nationals have always kind of seen the Braves the last three years as as a legitimate threat and one that's going to be around for a while just with that core, uh, as you mentioned, with Acuna and Albies. You know, they have Mike Soroka, who didn't even throw a pitch this year. He's going to be back next season. You know, the, the young pitchers they've been bringing up through the pipeline, Max Fried, Ian Anderson, you know, that that's a team that, you know, went through a rebuild of its own and really built up the farm system a bit uh, illegally, but, you know, they were fine for everything uh, for that. But, you know, they come out with this, this squad that they have uh, and, it, and it's one that's, that's built to last. And, you know, the Nationals, I don't think they're necessarily in a hurry uh, to, to become contenders again, just because 
uh, of the Braves and the, their presence there. You know, nobody else has really threatened to overtake the division, uh, you know, by the end of September, uh, like the Nationals have, uh, you know, in the past 10 years. I think it's nine of the last 10 years, only the Nationals and Braves, the Nationals and Braves have won nine of the last 10 NLEs titles, uh, with the Mets winning the one other one in that decade span. So, uh, nobody else has really threatened, you know, the Mets just kind of seem to fade at the end of each year. The Phillies never seem to be able to put it together. And, and certainly neither team looks like it has a dynasty in the making. So the Braves are, are obviously uh, target number one for the Nationals. And, and that's the kind of the team that's going to be the measuring stick for them. Uh, and if you look at the core that they have right now, it's just not up to par with the core that the Braves have. So, uh, you know, your your focus as the Nationals is to build a core uh, that that's along similar lines and can compete with that one. Honestly, when it comes to building a core, I feel like you really need the hit on one of your international signings. Like, where are the Blue Jays without Vlad Jr.? Where are the Padres without Tatis, even though Tatis they traded for? Even, like, Braves with Acuna? I really feel like that's kind of key. Nats with Juan Soto, even in 2019. Yeah, literally. Like, hitting everyone talks graphics are important yes but hitting on your international signings is really really crucial to building your core and coming back so i think that's going to be pretty important for the nats getting up to the braves level but switching gears a little bit it's our favorite topic we're going to do rapid fire free agent predictions for some notable free agents so matt are you ready all right let's get it all right so first guy carlos Correa. Where's your prediction? And if you want for these guys, you can throw a contract out. Not, no pressure. So Carlos Correa. Carlos Correa is going to sign with hmm, – I'm looking at the teams. I'm going to go – This is quite the rapid fire. It is. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, I'm going to I'm going to put it out there without having done any prior research, um, but I'm going to go with the Tigers. Good call. I think the Tigers are going to be major players this offseason. They're, you know, a somewhat of a big market team uh, and, and, you know, have spent very high payrolls in the past. So I don't want to put number in A.J. Hinch, not to mention. Yeah, there's the connection there. So uh, I'm not going to put any numbers just yet. I need to do some math uh, before I do that, but stay tuned. <laughs> uh all right uh next one just got a qualifying offer as well Corey seager Corey seager i think is going to go back to the dodgers boring i can see that yeah i can see it well, yeah, i, I think they he's probably going to be cheaper than trey if you think about it i think trey is going to be lucky to get 150 that's a separate conversation <laughs> that was <would>, oh my gosh <laughs> from the that's, nets maybe I don't want them back, but <laughs> <laughs> all right. So our next free agent, Trevor story. Um, everyone knows how that relationship is with the Rockies. He is not going back to the Rockies. Where do you think Trevor story will wind up? Uh, I am going to go with the Texas Rangers, the Texas Rangers with no, no I building like blocks whatsoever, but they have a new stadium that they have not christened well. They need something to bring out fans and story, you know, is, is a, a home run hitter and somebody who I think would fit in well with that offense, having literally nobody else there. It's really funny how many amazing things have happened for other teams in that stadium. Right. <laughs> <laughs> could, could we see Trevor story with the Cardinals? That was just the first team that came to my mind. Like I was doing my, 
Well, I'm saving the Cardinals for a player who I think you're going to ask. Oh, so, oh okay. How about right. I hold off? Okay. Well, yeah, we'll just save it. We'll save <laughs> that. All right, next one. Javier Baez. Javi Baez. Uh, I'm going to say that Javi Baez signs with the Yankees. He's exactly the type of player that they've targeted in the past. He's a Glaber Torres has obviously proven that he can't hold a middle position uh, in the infield offensively or defensively, and he gets rele- relegated to a utility role. Interesting. Well, or the Glaber, the Glaber Torres. They trade into the Nats. <laughs> right. <laughs> For Carter Keeboom. Yeah. Carter, yeah. Fair trade. Right. I, yeah, I could see him staying in New York. Just depends which team he'll go to. Our next free agent coming up is Marcus Simeon. Marcus Simeon. The, the Blue Jays would like him back, but I don't think that they pay up to get him. Um, so I'm going to say... Um, I'm going to say the Mets. The Mets sign Mark uh, Simeon. God, I would they, hate that. Yeah, I'd hate it too. I love him. Yeah. He's so fun to watch. I mean, he was my number... Granted, you, you, you made some great points when talking about the Nats' approach this offseason, but he was my number one semi-realistic target for the Nats until he got the qualifying offer. Now there's mm-hmm. just no shot, but I wanted the Nats to sign him last off season. RIP. Yeah. RIP. <laughs> and we, uh, imagine if we had given him that one year, $18 million deal and then traded oh him gosh. at the deadline with the season he was having. It would have been nuts. Man. Absolutely yeah. bonkers. RIP. Uh, next one. Talked about him earlier. Chris Bryant. Chris Bryant. Uh, Chris Bryant is going to sign. He's going to sign with the Phillies. Oh. <laughs> They're going to be aggressive. Dombrowski pressures on to build a winner. He's done it before, and he, you know he loves to spend money. So uh, I think they they lean into that offense that just kind That's... of underwhelmed at times. And then the Nashville so trade weird, for both though. Bryce and Chris Bryant. <laughs> I was told that Alec Baum was like the best player in the least. So that's really weird. They would sign at their baseman. I don't know, man. I don't know. I mean, they, they could play in the put, outfield. Yeah, too, I was going to say they remember. could probably put him in center. Yeah, <laughs> no, honestly. That's true. Better they were than Maniac. And yeah. Yeah. God, that team's a mess. All right, moving on. Um, Our next free agent, uh, absolute menace to society, Nicholas Castellanos. <laughs> <laughs> Nicholas Castellanos. Well, I think this depends on whether or not the DH comes to the National League. Uh, Castellanos, let's, say it does. let's say it does. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it comes to the National League, uh, then I'm going to say that the, the Giants sign Castellanos. They're losing uh, Chris Bryant, obviously. Buster Posey's retiring. Who knows? If Brandon Belt is going to be the same guy next year, Brandon Crawford coming off a career year, there's a lot of veterans that you're not sure about. Castellanos, you know, was one of the best hitters in the game this year. You need a surefire bat in the middle of that lineup. So I'm going to say Castellanos, the Giants. I kind of like that prediction. I feel good about it. If the DH comes nationally, but right. that caveat. Right. Um, let's move on to a pitcher. Really one of the only pitchers poised for a big contract, and that's obviously Marcus Stroman. No qualifying offer. Where do you think he goes? I'm also going to say the Giants. Uh, the Giants oh. rebuilding that rotation. They have a lot of money to spend. Farhan Zaidi, you know, came up with the Dodgers organization. He knows how to spend money. 
and, and, you know, the, the Giants have been among the top uh, spenders in the league, you know, back when they were winning World Series every other year. You know, they were a team that was not afraid to spend money, and I think they lean in and really bolster that pitching staff, uh, and I say they bring in Marcus Stroman. Instead of uh, Gosman or in addition to Gosman? I think that them trying to hand out 300 million plus contracts is probably going to be tough. So I've already said Bryant and uh, oh, right. um, Castellanos. Stroman. So I'm going to, or Castellanos, sorry. Uh, Castellanos and Stroman. So I'm going to say that Gosman does not go back to the Giants. Uh, and he actually signs with the Padres going to the NL West division rival. Interesting. Okay. And then our next free agent on the list, Max Scherzer. Where do you think he winds up? Here's where I was holding the Cardinals. I think he goes back uh, to his hometown of Missouri uh, and plays for the Cardinals. He already looks good in red. We all know it. And they're a team that just, you know, down the stretch needed pitchers so badly, but couldn't uh, put together the prospects to trade for him. That's why they ended up with Jay Happ and John Lester at the deadline. Uh, just because, you know, they weren't able to, to really lean into that roster. I think, you know, they had a couple of pitchers, you know, with that lineup that they have and Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt, Tommy Edmond, you know, so many names up and down, Dylan Carlson. Uh, they, they need some pitchers on that staff. And, and Adam Wainwright's coming back. So, you know, you pair him with Max Scherzer. Uh, it's like it's 2012 all over again. Man, that AARP rotation in St. <laughs> Louis with Wainwright and Scherzer and Lester. Oh, yeah. I mean, J.A. Happ, I just – ruining <laughs> ruining teams skewing that, numbers that entire rotation would be older than the manager <laughs> yep yep that's why they should have kept Schilt, man <laughs> cardinals uh first team with five gold glove award winners and they fired the manager i respect the hell out of that um <laughs> so our last topic here we always like in on a little fun thing and you know we love our bold predictions so Final question for you. What is one bold prediction you have for the Nationals offseason? For the Nationals offseason? Um, let's see. Honestly, not a ton of bold predictions just because I don't expect them to be a very bold team uh, this offseason. Bold prediction. I'm, we will hate everything. <laughs> <laughs> that's guaranteed. But I'm going to say, I'm going to say that we are going to hear at some point throughout the offseason that the Nationals have engaged in conversations with Scott Boris on a contract extension worth at least $400 million. I have nothing to back that up. It is a prediction. But I'm saying that right now, uh, I think that that is something that should be and is the number one priority uh, for the Nationals as an organization is to extend Juan Soto. Uh, and if you are going to do it, the farther out from free agency you are, the better. So even with Scott Boris as, as his agent, I think that the Nationals really sit down with Soto and say, look, we want you to you know, be here for a long time, be our building block, and, and we're willing to pay up to do it. So I think that we're going to hear of it. I don't know if an actual extension is going to happen at all, Never mind this offseason, but I think that we'll at least hear some reports of at least a $400 million contract being discussed for Juan Soto. So, Nick, you got the headline for this uh, interview, right? <laughs> you asked for bull. Okay? <laughs> we were going for bull. We're clipping we're just, that. Yeah, we're just, we're just going to do a part of my take does and like leave out that bold part. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Matt Wire reports and Nats and talk for Juan Soto extension. <laughs> RIP to my mentions. 
Uh, Matt, it's a pleasure as always have you on the show. Always great talking baseball with you. Hopefully that bullet prediction becomes reality. I know a lot of the people will be very, very happy about that. As always, you guys can give them a follow on Twitter at by Matt Wyrick and make sure you guys head on over to NBC Sports Washington and support all the great work Matt does. Matt, thank you so much for coming on, man. It's always great. Thanks, Nick Ryan. You guys have a good one. Yep. Big thanks to Matt Wyrick for joining the show. As always, love that guy. Best friend of the show. Go give him a follow on Twitter at by Matt Wyrick. Uh, great insight, as always, from our friend Matt. But Ryan, it is time. Are you ready for this? Let's get ready to rumble. Kicking and screaming reference. I'm ready. <laughs> um, like I said earlier, this is always one of my favorites. Uh, we're doing free agent predictions. Uh, we. Yes, we can do contracts as well. Give it do give contracts. It a, yeah, like a you know rough year AAV estimate. We can do that. Uh, we're gonna just we'll rapid fire some of them, uh, but the ones that are worth a discussion, we can we can uh, you know kind of flesh out a little bit and, and talk about. But we're gonna just knock out all the big ones, or at least most of the big ones. So let's go for it. I'm ready. You ready? Because I'm ready. Let's do it. Let's do it. Obviously, the big one everyone wants to know: Carlos Correa. What's your prediction? Yeah, I would. I would do unspeakable things to get this man <laughs> on the Nationals, um, but I don't think that's happening. I am the first person who said this, and now it's a whole movement. Carlos Correa is going to sign with the Detroit Tigers. Um, they made comments before the season about how they are ready. They have a good young core. They have a good farm system. They are ready to spend and begin the buildings of a winner. What better way doing that than signing a franchise player and letting the fan base in your division know you are ready. Carlos Correa is going to sign with the Detroit Tigers for a 10-year, $350 million contract. The 27-year-old is going to break Lindor's record. 10 years, $350 million? He's going he's, he's to break the record. So, so the... Astros just offered him that like five one sixty whatever it was right, the which only, is why I yeah the only reason why it was that was the AAV. That's all you had to pay attention to. Someone's going to offer him eight years. Multiple teams are going to offer him eight years. The Tigers are going to be like, screw it, let's do this because their payroll is probably like thirty million right now, and they're going to offer that ten year three fifty. Give him thirty five mil AAV. It's going to be loaded with opt outs, and yeah, that's my bold prediction. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. I, I think, yeah, I, I just think the Tigers make so much sense. They were they exceeded expectations. They're approaching the end of their rebuild. AJ Hinch, you know, whatever your your opinions on him are, is a great manager. He has that you know history with Correa. They have. Sp- the Tigers, that is, they have spent money in the past, have high, have had high payrolls. I like it. Uh, I, I talked about this earlier. We we have an article, you know, coming out Monday that, uh, you know, lists all of our staff predictions, not just Ryan and myself, but all of the staff predictions. And Ryan was lucky enough to get his predictions in there first. So I was left in a tough position, whether I – you know, copy Ryan, not because I was necessarily copying him, because uh, 
but more so like I just agreed with him or I was just changing it because I didn't want to copy Ryan. But this one, I will follow your lead. And I, I do say the Tigers. I don't. If he gets 10 years, 350 million, I wouldn't be entirely surprised because he's he's only 27 and he has that just like, turned 27. Yeah. And he has the postseason um, resume. I almost said rapport postseason resume uh he he is the epitome of a a foundational building block uh and even in the tigers case he he could be that move that propels them into playoff contention um especially if we do get any sort of expanded playoffs for the 2022 season uh, once we figure out what's going on at the cba i like it um i i'll say seven years uh, quick math, two ten, seven years, two forty. So that would be. Oh man, I just screwed myself with math. Yeah, yeah, seven years, two forty, whatever, whatever that <laughs> equates to. Uh, seven years, two forty is what I say. Um, all right, let's do. We'll we'll stick to the shortstops and knock them all out. Next one, Corey Seager. Yeah. So. One of my bold predictions for the offseason is that Carlos Correa is going to be the only player to get over 200 million. That is a very bold prediction. I'm not going to stick to that during these predictions right here. <laughs> um, I was going to say the Yankees, but kind of just thinking about it. And Matt said the Rangers. That makes a lot of he said he said the Rangers fan. No, right? no, no, he said Dodgers. No, he no, said no, Dodgers sorry, yeah. and there he said go. Rangers for another guy. Okay. Well, well I'm they've saying they've heard it at this point. He said he said Rangers for Trevor Story. Okay, well, I'm saying Rangers for Seager, and I'm saying the Rangers offer him 10 years, $300 million. Uh, the two of them completely reset the shortstop market. <laughs> you and, and Xander Bogarts. <laughs> and look, I'm telling you, man, I'm going to be right. And <laughs> Xander Bogarts is the happiest person in the world seeing this. I thought he already signed it. Bogarts did. I thought he already signed his extension. His last year is uh, 2022. He gets free agency at the end of next season. Man, that was a quick contract because he mm-hmm. was he quote unquote reset the market. I guess it must have been only a five year deal, right? Yes, sir. Five year hundred mil. I have no concept of time right now. Well, we, we talk time's fake. Well, yeah, correct. But to dovetail this back to a conversation we had a couple weeks ago, and it's unfortunate Amanda uh, went AWOL for this. Daylight savings was today. I just got back from California, which is obviously a three-hour time difference. I have literally no sense of time right now, like none whatsoever. And daylight savings time, while I did get an extra hour of sleep, just has completely screwed me on whatever. Why do we start talking about time? I don't even remember. Because of um, you said you had no concept of time because of Bogart's extension being up. That's right. Yeah. Okay. I'm back with it now. Again, no concept of time. Um, ne- oh, I guess I have to give mine. Uh, I was actually going to say Astros because I had Correa leaving. I think the Astros, um, as we saw with uh, Springer leaving last year, they were quick to go back and get Brantley. I think with Correa leaving this year, they're going to be quick to replace him. I think Seager would be their first pivot uh, due to age and and whatnot. The fact that they were already willing to spend 30 million plus uh, AAV on a shortstop. 
Uh, I think they'll quickly pivot to Seager and uh, they'll go, go after him, but, or at least I, I thought that, um, but I think that the Dodgers do want to bring him back. And again, that the age and the fact and he was just the world series MVP. Uh, I, th- I think the Dodgers will, will retain him. Um, next one let's do, we mentioned it earlier. Let's do Trevor story. Cause this one's very interesting because the teams that were reportedly in on him at the deadline and kind of even last off season seems like kind of have soured on him. Maybe it's the Coors effect. Maybe it's just not uh, a great uh, 2021 season for him offensively. Where do you think Trevor story goes and what do you think that contract is like? His contract's going to be interesting. Um, He's coming off a down year in cores. The cores effect is as dumb as it is. It's a thing to front offices. Yeah, Um, it's a thing. He's not going to be a $300 million man like the other shortstops are on this list, but he is going to be coming to the NL East, and I believe he will be signing with the Phillies. The Phillies make a lot of sense for him. They've had bad shortstop play over the last couple of seasons. Dave Dombrowski is their GM. That man does not care about the luxury tax threshold or prospects. He does what it takes to win, and the connection's right there. I've already seen articles from some Phillies writers talking about it. So I think he will sign with the Phillies for five years, $110 million. Um, I realized I forgot to give my contract for uh, Seager. I'll I'll say seven years, 210, just to make it an even, even 30. Uh, but as far as story goes, so I think that Correa and um, maybe we just Correa and Seager signed first. They're going to be the first two dominoes to fall because they have to set the market. Story, uh, Hobby Bias, who we'll talk about here in a second, they're not going to get as much as uh, Correa. Might maybe Seager, but uh, probably not. So they're going to have to wait for them to fall to kind of set the market, or maybe it's vice versa. Maybe Correa's waiting for the lower guys to sign so he can get more than them. Whatever the case may be. I think story could be in that Josh Donaldson uh, situation from a couple of years ago where he, what Donaldson signed like a one year, $20 million deal with the Braves uh, essentially like a qualifying offer a little bit more than a qualifying offer. Um, granted he could do that and go back to course, but <laughs> uh, he does not want to do that. I say, I agree. I think he goes to the Phillies, but I I'm going to say it's a one year, $25 million contract like good amount more than a qualifying offer, but he gets to hit free agency again next year and uh, really catch on a contract when he's not fighting other shortstops. Like you have Trey, you have Xander Bogarts, but I mean, you already have an established shortstop market for free agency after this off season. So I, I, I'm going to say one year, 25 million for him. Uh, again, just mentioned it, but Javi Baez is the other shortstop on that uh, list. Uh, where do you think he goes? Um, and do you think he's worth it? Sorry, you broke up there for a second. I did not hear the name you said. Oh, net. Uh, Javi Baez. Do you think he's uh, worth it? Javi no is, matter what the contract is. Javi's so interesting because, like, his slash lines are so funny because, like, he'll always end up with a good OPS, but he'll strike out like 250 times and, like, barely hit 200. It just doesn't make sense. Um, 
he is either going to sign with the New York Mets because I think he really liked it there and he has a very good relationship with Francisco Lindor and I think that is very important to consider. The Mets are the Mets. They can support like a $600 million payroll if they want. But I'm going to go... I'm going to say he goes back to the Cubs and he signs a six-year, $125 million contract. Interesting. I could definitely see the Cubs, like, because obviously they traded away Baez, Rizzo, and Bryant at the deadline. That was a very big deal. Not just because they were part of the World Series team, but, you know, all homegrown stars and whatnot. Um, I could see that. I don't hate that. However, I do think hitting free agency in any sport is kind of a big deal, but it seems especially uh, a big deal for baseball just because these guys, you know, who are poised to get paid, they have to wait so long to do so. I mean, it feels like they have to go through seven years on a team before they hit free agency. And by that time, they're pushing 30 and then teams don't want to pay them because they're pushing 30. Um because of that, I think Javi wants to go to a team that's more ready uh, or at least in a bigger market. So I think he stays in New York. However, I think he goes to the Yankees because the Yankees have missed out. Guys, obviously they got Garrett Cole, but they, they were linked to a bunch of different guys. And I think the fact that they don't have their middle infielders as set as maybe they thought, I think that's going to push them to go after one of these. They were linked to Trevor Story for a while. I think they're going to pay Javi Baez uh, to be that flashy, you know, he fits New York, the the image of New York well. I'm going to say they give him a five-year, I'm really struggling with math right now, a uh, five-year one- 30 does that make sense i like it yeah yeah because that's like what 25 ish yeah 26 okay yeah i I can live with that 26 aav so i'll I'll say five year 130 to the yankees for how you buy us um last guy technically a shortstop can play second base did get a qualifying offer very interesting a little bit older but super super solid marcus Semyon. what do you think about him yeah, Marcus Simeon, 31 years old. He's the oldie of the shortstops because you got two fresh 27-year-olds and Carlos Correa and Corey Seager. Um, he's going to have a pretty good market. I think he's out of the Blue Jays' price range. One team that makes the utmost sense for him is the Boston Red Sox. They said that they're not going to sign someone for over $200 million. Reason B, Xander Bogarts and Rafael Devers are both hitting the free agent market soon. They are going to want to keep both of them. Um, JD Martinez is back as well, and they have high interest in Kyle Schwarber, but it's the Boston Red Sox. They can afford whatever payroll they want, and I can see them signing him and putting him at second base and having a very, very, very good infield of Marcus Simeon, Xander Bogarts, and Rafael Devers. Um, in Boston in a type of deal. I think he'll get paid. Um, I don't think he'll get 30 million AAV. So I think he'll get five years around 140, 142. The Red Sox could do a three or four year deal and just throw heavy AAV at him. But I'll go 
five years, 140 million. Damn, that's that's high. Um, AAV for for him because five years, 140 is just, I mean, just shy of 30. AAV. He's 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 gonna get paid. Yeah, no, he, he's, he's good. Um, but I, I just this this offseason is hard to predict. Granted, we don't care. We're just gonna freaking hit fire and, and you know uh, take our victory laps as they come. But this offseason is so hard to predict with the CBA and t- teams not really moving all that quickly in free agency to begin with. Um, Marcus Simeon, I he was at my number one on my wish list in terms of realistic targets uh, there for a while because I, it just felt like he fit what the Nats seemed to be doing. That being said, the qualifying offer really takes him out of any consideration for the Nats. So I am just kind of pivot to what Ryan said. The Red Sox also make a ton of sense. Uh, they see him or saw a lot of him uh, playing uh, in division this year. I just think it makes a lot of sense. Extremely versatile. So should Bogarts go down, um, God forbid, like he can shift to short and, you know, they can plug in someone else at second base or he can just be a all-star second baseman. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that would be awesome. Plus, he he's kind of proven himself to be a perennial top 10 MVP candidate. Like, that's obviously not easy to come by. So I, I think he fits what the Red Sox are trying to do. And like you said, they're uh, not hesitant on spending. So I will say four years, God, uh, four years, 90 million. Four years, no. Because I want I want even math. I'm gonna say f- four years, ninety six million. Okay, that's, okay, that's twenty four million a year. So, all right, let's uh pivot to one spot over in the infield, third base. Chris Bryant, name the Nats fans have known now for a while. What do you think happens to good old buddy Chris Bryant? Um, so he is staying on the West Coast, but he's going north just a little bit up to the rainy city of Seattle. The Mariners made a very hot run late in the season to make the playoffs. They're going to regress a little bit, but that team is good, and that team is pretty close to ready to assert themselves as a playoff contender. They have a good young core, a very good farm system. Um, they put aside all of the horrible things that came to air and they got a good system there and they're going to sign Chris Bryant. His contract's interesting. Rumored I saw was six years, 140. So I'll say he gets six years, 140 from the Mariners. That six year is going to what makes him sign there. So Chris Bryant, um, I've wanted him on the Nats for a while now. Uh, I, I think it makes a ton of sense. I think it's made sense for a while, but even now that we're not competitive, I still think it makes sense because he's just so versatile. The Nats have always uh, valued versatility. I mean, look at LCD's Escobar. Granted, LCD's Escobar had a decent year, but he's on this team because of his versatility. He can play second and short and is a veteran presence. Chris Bryant can play like six different positions and as a veteran presence, uh, won a world series has a rapport with Davey. I, I, I think the Nats, well, I'm going to predict him to the Nats. Screw it. Like I, I, I just think the Nats need to get a building block. All the shortstops have qualifying offers. Chris Bryant does not go get Chris Bryant. I'm going to say they're, they're going to have to overpay 
because of the state of the Nats. Uh, they're rebuilding, and overpay for them includes a bunch of deferred money, but it also helps them because they can just kick the can down the road. So I'm going to say they give Chris Bryant seven years, which I wouldn't do, but if it gets the deal done, whatever. I'm going to say they give him seven years and $240 million. Which again, I'm pretty sure I gave that exact contract out earlier, and I can't think of the the AAV off the top. Two forty, two forty. Wow. Because again, they have to overpay, and they're gonna defer it. So that would be thirty, thirty four million AAV. Which again, I know. Trust me, I know it's an overpay, but if it gets the deal done, kick the can down the road, you have another building block. That's probably pretty high. Now that I'm thinking about it. six years, 240? No, seven. I said seven years. I mean, 240. God, that you say 240, that man's signing for you can change your mind. But again, <laughs> they have to overpay. Yeah, but like that's overpay by like 100 million. Like Chris Bryant's not getting 200 million. Like 200 million would be an overpay for Chris Bryant. Like I know you have to overpay when you're not contending, but that big. I wonder what Spot Track has him at for. I I know some of the players they they uh, um, haven't updated the what we call it like projections, but I, I I'm trying to think like why why do you not think he, he's not getting two hundred million? I just don't see it. Like he's had a couple down years and dealing with some injury history. I think that's going to predict him from getting two hundred. Like his down years are still very good. But the shoulder injury history in those couple of down years, I don't think he gets it. Yeah, I, I probably way overshot that because I'm just fried at this point. Like, again, no sense of time. Yeah, 240s, <laughs> probably a lot. I'll say 180. Seven years, 180. There you I mean, go. That's, that's more respectful. That's better. All right, so we're just going to pretend like that 240 didn't happen. All right, let's start uh, banging these out. Uh Castellanos opted out, did get the qualifying offer. Very interesting, you know, corner outfield option. Should the Universal DH come to the uh, to the league, that opens up a, a like a bunch of doors for Castellanos and his market. What do you think happens to uh, to him? Um, I think he stays in NL Central and he goes to the Brewers for five years, eighty five million. I like that. I like that. Um, I will say he goes to the Giants. I will, again, I'm going to copy uh, Matt Wyrick. I'll, I'll say he goes to the Giants because, uh, in my prediction, they lose Chris Bryant. They're going to want um, to replace that offensive production in some capacity. If the NL gets the University H, Cassianos fits that kind of mold for an offense pretty well. I'll say he goes to the Giants for, because he's 31, right? 30, 31. Uh, age 30 season. It'll be his age 30 season. So I'll say five years. Uh, I'll say five years, hundred million, 20 million a year. Um, all right. I'm trying to go in order. So I, I don't confuse myself. Another interesting one. Chris Taylor did get a qualifying offer as well. Uh, Swiss army knife. He's kind of uh, an interesting, like undervalued yet very valued kind of guy. Uh, what do you think happens to uh, 
Chris Taylor? Um, Chris Taylor played himself into a $100 million contract because how he played in the postseason, and the Marlins will give it to him. So I think he's going to go down to South Beach for five years, $100 million. Man, he plays so many different positions. I'm just like looking at his stats. Um, everything. I had Corey Seager going back to the Dodgers. I think one of Taylor and Seager goes back to the Dodgers. Uh, I think Corey Seager probably would be their preference to, I don't know. We'll see. But I I do think Chris Taylor would probably be the more likely to leave because some one team will will, uh, pay up for him. Don't think it's the Marlins. Um, Granted, I don't necessarily hate that, that prediction. You know what? I'll say the Mets because uh, I was going through my predictions and I didn't predict many freedoms to the Mets because the Mets are the Mets. But they are always active and they are always involved in these um, rumors and and, in on these free agents. So I'm going to say Chris Taylor to the Mets for five years. Yeah, five years, 100 million sounds right. So Chris Taylor to the Mets, same contract. Um, Is that all the position players? Did I forget any? Um, Schwarber's the only one you didn't really do. Oh, Schwarber. Oh, no. Well, and Freddie Freeman. All right. We'll do Freddie Freeman. I mean, Braves. Yeah. He's going to go back to the Braves. The Braves don't really spend big on guys, but they're going to have to pay him, which is really funny because their first big contract really is going to be to a 30 year old first baseman, but they'll, they'll give him the 200 million he deserves. They'll finally give it to him. Yeah. Agreed on all accounts. All right. Kyle Schwarber. Interesting one. Uh, Kyle Schwarber, I think he stays in Boston. He had success there. They love, um, sorry, being a lefty in that park is pretty, you know, pretty great, just the way the dimensions are. And I think he's going to stay there. Um, they can put him in first base, right field, left field, put him on DH. They're going to like him there. And I think he's going to get 16 mil AAV, five years, 80 mil, and continue being happy up in uh, Massachusetts. Yeah, I I can see that. Um, I'm going to go to division rival. I'm going to say he goes to the Yankees. Short porch, uh, power bats. They love their power bats, Bronx Bombers, all that, you know, propaganda they try to push, even though they fail every year. I'm going to say he goes to the Yankees for what contract did you give him? I gave him five for 80. Uh, I will give him four for 70 uh, to New York in that short porch. Uh, One other one that I wanted to dovetail into this, uh, Anthony Rizzo. Where do you think he goes? Anthony Rizzo is so interesting because like, I, I don't know. I, I can see him going back to the Yankees, but I also feel like there's a chance he doesn't. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to predict him back there just because I haven't predicted him anywhere else. I think he'll get 16 million as well, but I'll say the Yankees give him a two year, $32 million contract. Okay. Here's where I, uh, sort of copy. I'm going to say he's going back to the Cubs because he's just beloved by Cubs fans and he can be the, the staple and whatnot. And David Ross is still their, uh, manager. He has, at least by all accounts, uh, a good relationship with David Ross. So there is that kind of mutual respect there. 
I'll say he goes back to the Cubs for because he's a little bit older. Um, but they can they can afford it. They offload a lot of money. I'll say four years, sixty million. Does that sound right? I think that's that sounds good to me. Four years, sixty million for Anthony yeah. Rizzo. All right, let's get into the pitchers because this is a much more interesting conversation. Uh, we'll start with probably the one everyone's going to go after. He's probably the maybe safest in some respects uh, option out there. Marcus Stroman, what do you think he he does? Yeah, so this is when all the $100 million contracts are going to come out because if you're a pitcher and like you can get close to 3-5 ERA and throw 140 innings, you're going to get a $100 million contract. Um, I can see him going back to the Mets, but I think Marcus Stroman goes to the Cardinals. Um, I think they're going to start revamping their pitching staff. That's kind of been lacking. And I can see him just getting a basic five-year, $100 million contract. Uh, I'm going to say Padres uh, because even though they traded for Darvish, they traded for Snell, they traded for Musk. Yeah, they traded for Musgrove. They traded for Mike Clevenger, who they'll be getting back. Pitching was still a huge problem for them and obviously led to a bunch of frustration in that clubhouse uh i think they'll try to make that move they tried to trade for max scherzer at the deadline so you know they're still in on pitching uh they have high expectations even though they were like what a 75 one team when it was all said and done um i'm gonna say marcus stroman to the padres for uh because he'll be 31 uh, i'll say five years a hundred and fifty million whatever that equates to so a little bit more than than 20 uh million a year was that 23 yeah 23 okay uh other big one that's safe but a little bit of underlying risk due to his age obviously that is max scherzer where do you think he goes Max Scherzer probably will have a pretty good market between the California teams. The Angels are going to make a big push. The Giants are going to make a big push. But I think he's going to stay with the Dodgers. That's his best chance to win. Um, Dodgers also can throw any money at anyone and afford it. I think they're going to be the only team that goes over $100 million for him. So I'm going to say the Dodgers go three years, 110. I'm going Dodgers as well. Effectively, it re- it replaces the Trevor Bauer contract. I, I have to imagine they get out from that contract in some capacity. Granted, it, I think it was only a two-year deal to begin with, um, but he fills that role both on the team and payroll-wise. Uh, yeah, three years, $100 million, uh, makes a lot of sense for Max Scherzer, but also the Dodgers. I mean, they could easily do that and not blink twice, which – makes the the decision to trade Max Scherzer at the the deadline all the more worthwhile because the Nats would never pay that and couldn't afford to pay that due to the nature of their pitching staff. Uh, Another pitching option for teams, Kevin Gosman. Interesting kind of um, re... What's the word I'm looking for? Rebirth, revitalization of his career. Uh, I mean, he, he was a Cy Young candidate this year. He was phenomenal. What do you think he does? Um, 
this is when the musical chairs begins for the pitchers. All the teams that have the good pitchers who are free agents right now are literally just going to start swapping with each other. Um, I think he goes up to the great white north of Canada, or as Michael Scott says, Canada, and he signs with the Blue Jays. And I'm going to think he gets $110 million over the course of five seasons. I like that. Um, trying to think, because I do agree they're going to play musical chairs. It just um, who's going to be the first domino to fall. Um, I'm going to say Gosman goes to the Cardinals for man, his market's tough to do. Uh, we'll say 22. So we'll say four years, 88 million for Kevin Gosman to the Cardinals because they need they need some pitching. Um, another pitching you mentioned musical chairs. You, you had Gosman going to the Great White North, Kanata. Uh, they would be losing, I assume, in this uh, hypothetical situation. Robbie Ray, where do you think Robbie Ray goes? Um, Yeah, they are definitely losing Robbie Ray. And this, the Angels are going to be aggressive for a starting pitcher. And I think they're going to whiff on their top two targets and kind of fall into that third one, um, which is going to be Robbie Ray. Sucks for them. Only going to be the AL Cy Young. Um, and Robbie Ray is going to get paid. I don't know if it'd be the best thing, but like I said, this is the run of the hundred million dollar contracts, because if you're a pitcher, you get a hundred million and I think he will get 25 mil AAV. I think the angels will have to go a six year. So I'm going to say six years, 150 for Robbie Ray to go to the angels. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, Cy Young would bump up that price tag. Uh, I'm going to have him going to the Yankees and I know I'm predicting the Yankees a lot, but it does feel like they're, they're due in a sense to land some of these free agents. Garrett Cole was really their only big one. They got LeMahieu, but LeMahieu also, they had the upper hand on LeMahieu because he signed that cheap deal there to begin with. So they re-signed him instead of like really bidding for his services. Um, so I think the Yankees have a big off season and, you know, just, go to the uh, Steinbrenner classic era where they just build their team through free agency in these enormous contracts. So I have, I have Robbie Ray going to the Yankees. Uh, I'm going to say five years. Cause I, th- I think that fifth year is crucial um, for them or for uh, yeah, for them to land Robbie Ray. I will say five years we're just going even numbers. I'll go five years, a hundred million, 20 million a year. Uh, well, Cy Young bumps that up. So I'll say five years, 120 million. Cause I do think he's probably going to win the Cy Young. Um, another pitcher injured this year, got the qualifying offer, kind of a interesting situation with him. Cause there's a couple different ways he could go. Uh, Justin Verlander. What do you think happens with him? I think Justin Verlander stays with the Astros. He is throwing a bullpen session next week and a lot of teams are going to be there but i don't think he leaves the astros the astros pitching is kind of a mess right now um so i think he stays in houston and he gets a one-year 20 million dollar contract uh i actually am going to predict he just accepts the qualifying offer yeah i I can see that as well i mean it's it's effectively the same thing it's one year 18.4 million yeah uh, but that would ensure he can't get it again next year, which I don't know how much of a market he would have next year. And it's like age 39 season, but 
you know, that might be enticing to him if he's going to sign a one-year deal to remain in Houston anyways. A um, couple more pitchers to round this out. Carlos Rodon did not receive a qualifying offer. Where do you think he goes? Rodon is interesting. Um, he is good, but he has so many concerns. I think the White Sox are going to be his best option. Um, I saw some lowball offers out there for them, but he's going to get, I don't want to say six years, but all right. So I'll, I'll say, I'll say five years, $92 million for him. I think he's the one pitcher who does not get a hundred million dollar contract. Uh, for Rodon, I don't even think he gets that much. Um, I'm going to have him go to the Blue Jays. This is part of the musical chairs things that you, you mentioned because uh, in my hypothetical, they lose Robbie Ray. They miss out on Gosman uh, like you had him going there. So they settle for Rodon. He feels that lefty role to compare him with Barrios um, in that rotation and Hyunjin Ryu. Uh, so I'm going to say Rodon to the Blue Jays for uh, – I, I just think his injury and kind of arm fatigue is going to scare some teams. So I'll go a little bit of a higher AV shorter year. So I'll say three years, 60, eh, 69 million, three years, 69 million. Uh, let's do some relievers. Kenley Jansen used to be one of the best closers in baseball, kind of fallen off. What do you think happens with him? Um, I think there's going to be a bidding war between the Dodgers and the Phillies for him. The Phillies really, really need bullpen help, but I just don't see him leaving the Dodgers. Like Dodgers have a lot of free agents. I think him, Kershaw and Max are going to be the ones to take care of. So I think he stays and gets a three year, $35 million contract from the Dodgers. Yeah. I initially had him going to the Brewers. Um, cause Brewer, I, I think the Brewers move Josh Hader this offseason um, and get a haul for him and then replace their closer spot with Kenley Jansen. That's what I initially predicted. But I think I'm going to have him going back to the Dodgers as well, specifically because they just let Joe Kelly go. Um, so I, I think it would be really tough for them to let go of two of their main staple or mainstays uh, in their bullpen. So I'll have Kenley Jansen returning on a – Again, no sense of time. How old is Kenley Jansen? He's 34. 34. Um, I'm going to say two years, two years, 30 million. Because again, the Dodgers can afford it. And maybe there's an opt out. Maybe there's, you know, deferrals or something. Two years, 30 million for Kenley Jansen to return to LA. Uh, the other big closer in the market, Raziel Iglesias. Where do you think he's going to end up? He did a, get a qualifying offer as well. He did, um, which is really interesting. I think he should take it because uh, he's, he's not going to get 18 million on the open market. His projection is around 15 million. Um, I think he accepts the qualifying offer. If he doesn't, he'll stay with the Angels anyways and get like a four-year, sixty million dollar contract. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know why the Angels offered him that, but I think he stays and probably accepts the qualifying offer. Yeah, uh, no, no. Interesting debate here. I have him accepting the qualifying offer. Once I saw it, it felt like the Gosman thing last year, where it's like, oh shit, they offered him the qualifying offer. Yeah, yeah, take that. So, Raziel, any time a reliever can get a one year, $18 million deal, you take that. 
<laughs> just no reason not to. Oh, man. Any other free agents that I miss? I feel like we hit most of the big ones. Yeah, those are the noteworthy ones. I mean, Clayton Kershaw is going back to the Dodgers, right? Yeah, no, that's that's like that's like uh, Freddie Freeman. He's yeah, he's not, I, I figured. Not <laughs> I figured. I'm just going down the list. Um, Gerardo Parra. <laughs> I thought you pulled a Monty and walked off the podcast. I, I thought about it. <laughs> uh, oh, one I, I did miss. Uh, Michael Conforto. Um, I saw an article that the Phillies signed Michael Conforto for six years, 140 million. I think that'd be really funny, but he's a prime one year candidate. I think he's going to be someone who takes one year to show that last year was just a down season for him and then bank on something big coming from the CBA that'll benefit him from hanging for agency next year. So I'll have him going to the guardians for, I'll do one year, 19 million. Yeah. I, I love that prediction. Um, again, not the most interesting debate here, but I, I think he's just going to accept that qualifying offer because once again, if you're going to just accept a one-year deal anyways, I think the qualifying offer is a smart thing to do because it's you know $18 million, but also you wouldn't get the qualifying offer next year. Uh, you wouldn't be eligible for it. So it kind of opens up your market a little bit more. Like Michael Conforto might have his market shrunk a little bit because teams like, let's just say the Nats, uh, the Nats wouldn't be in on him because they would have to give up like a top 50 pick to get Michael Conforto. And I just don't see them doing that for any free agent, but especially not for Michael Conforto. So I think it makes sense for him to accept that offer, even if he doesn't necessarily want to be with the Mets, which who can blame him, but that is our free agency predictions. Uh, Matt will have that uh, Matt Holleran, who's our, uh, one of our writers for half street. High Heat, not Matt Weirich. Um, both good, good, good maths. A lot of good maths around half street, high heat. Uh, Matt Holleran will have his uh, article coming out and that outlines the entire staff predictions for free agency. So be sure to check that out, see what all the predictions are. And I'm sure Monty, as he always does, will keep us uh, up to date with where we stand with everyone's predictions, who's winning, who uh, is not winning. We'll say that. As we wrap all of our episodes, we're going to talk about one big thing that's going on in baseball with the Nats, anything we talked about that we want to talk about more, anything we missed that, you know, should be talked about. Ryan, what's your one big thing? Uh, my one big thing is I badly need a exciting month before December 1st. Please give me some signings. Like, come on, let's get some big names off the board. I just want baseball to have a NBA style for agency so badly. Give us a tampering period. Like that's what we need in the CBA. Let teams tamper. Um, but yeah, my one big thing is I just hope team sign and players sign quickly in the off season. Cause I need it. I mean, it'd be quite the embarrassment to the sport of baseball to have a tampering period where literally no one tampers like, <laughs> Like team teams literally when free agent, baseball free agent start free agency starts and teams don't do anything, even though they're allowed to do stuff. Like, why do they need a tampering period? Like NFL, it's like everyone's jumping the gun. There was already a tampering to begin with, so tampering period made sense. But MLB, like you need to speed it up. So I, I just I don't know. I, I I hope 
I hope there's a salary cap floor. I just don't see it happening. The owners will never agree to that. But I I, I hope there's there's a, a minimum spending. Just doesn't make any sense for there to be like you know what eight teams that are actively not trying. Orioles, Pirates, uh, who else? I mean, those are the two egregious ones. But I hope there's a salary cap floor. Anyways, my one big thing. Uh, I'm just going to tease it because we're still ironing out some details. So after every season, right, that we're, we're approaching year four of Half Street High Heat, which is unreal to even think we've made it this far. Uh, and obviously we couldn't have done that without all of you uh, loyal heaters supporting us over the years. But after the end of each uh, season, you know, once the world series concludes, we kind of review uh, our show and, and see where we can improve what we liked, what we want to keep doing. And obviously any opportunities for improvement. Our second episode of the week, you know, that's something we introduced this year. Uh, I think, you know, if I'm just speaking for myself, I I enjoyed doing it. I liked, you know, the consistency. I think, you know, again, just looking at the numbers of the listens, seemed like our fans enjoyed it as well. It had the same amount of listens and downloads as, you know, the first episode every week, the Monday or Tuesday episode. So it seems like fans like it. We are going to do something a little bit different starting maybe this week, if not this week, definitely next week with our second episode of the week. We want to be consistent, but we also want it to be a little bit different, right? We don't want to do the same thing over and over again, two times a week, all year long. We want it to be a little bit different. So we're going to spice it up. We came up with a great idea that I think everyone's going to enjoy. It's going to be super interactive. Uh, At some point, we hope to get the YouTube channel involved, which by the way, go check out our YouTube page. Trey has been doing an awesome job on that. Uh, new videos every Friday, but we hope to get the Thursday episode, not only, you know, as a podcast episode, but on the YouTube page as well to make it more interactive and you guys get to, you know, really see what it's like to, uh, you know, behind the scenes of Half Street High and whatnot. So that's just a small tease of what's coming, but we do have big plans for year four of Half Street High Heat. Obviously, part of that was bringing on uh, you know, people like Allison, people like Trey, uh, people like Danny to the team and, and, you know, grow, give you guys more contact, content and consistent content. That is uh, we're here. We're not going anywhere. We're not leaving. And, you know, we got big plans. We're making moves. Unlike MLB free agency, we are not going to wait for things to happen. We're going to go make it ha- happen ourselves. We got money to spend. We're playing with house money. We're just going to go make it happen. So check out. I'm a, I'll get it ready. I'm a, this is my guarantee to you, heaters. I'll get our Thursday episode ready this week. Check out. I, I almost spoiled it. Check out our episode this Thursday. I guarantee you guys will like it. This is my small tease for the future of Half Street High Heat. All right. I think that does it. I am tired. No sense of time right now. It's hard it, work. It's hard work doing these correct predictions. Yeah, I know. It's just like, but someone has to do it. We can't all freaking be Amanda and just like not do a podcast. 
I mean, the audacity of some people. But listen, when the team needs, you know, people to come through in the clutch, Ryan and I are always there. And we always will be. Ryan, you got anything else before we go? Absolutely not. Make sure you keep checking out all of our daily blogs that are coming out. We got some good material coming out as always. Yep. I will be better next episode. I am exhausted. No sense of time. But in the meantime, be sure to check out Half Street High Heat. Like Brian said, lots of great content coming out every single day. Matt's article will be out, well, tomorrow. But today, if you're listening to this on release day, uh, check out Matt's article. New articles every single day. Uh, be sure to stay tuned for that Thursday episode. That'll be a surprise, um, you know, kind of new edition of the podcast. Uh, Trey's videos drop every Friday. Uh, check out our T Public page. Uh, new designs just uploaded like 10 different designs uh, last week. So be sure to check that out. I'm pretty sure there's a sale going on right now. If I'm not mistaken. I don't know. I think today might've been the last day. So, but anyways, it's not that expensive. Anyways, treat yourself to something nice uh, this holiday season. But in the meantime, follow us on uh, Twitter at half street, high heat street with ST for that main account. Follow Ryan at we are all Shaq and myself at national days. We appreciate you listening. And in the meantime, Let's go free agency. Please sign someone and not make us wait. There's a new breeze blowing off the banks of the Potomac. A new team's mowing down the ranks of their opponents. The Nationals are smashing balls so that the commentator who has the calls has passed the wall to see you later. Dawn, well, you can see they're running scared Cause the kinds of bombs we're launching are bursting in the air Tell the Library of Congress that they might not want to look Cause we're putting curly W's in every book Let's go Nats We've got a game to play We're gonna win today Let's go Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. 
with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.